is Hunter Boone. I am the family and worship pastor here at Coastal Williamsburg, and I have the honor of bringing the word to you all this morning. Now, if you have been with us over the past few weeks, I know it's been mentioned a few times already this morning, we are going through uh, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And something that we've been learning from Nehemiah is that he had a zeal for God's kingdom, and his goal was to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And like Nehemiah, we too should have a zeal for God's kingdom as we seek to build his church. And so with that in mind, I want to direct your attention to your bulletin this morning. If you look at your bulletin with building the church in mind, you'll see that the two main points for you today begin like this. Building the church, and then you fill in the blank. You notice about the word church, it's got a capital C on it. It's a capital C church, and it's not by accident. I made sure of that this morning because today when I talk about the church, I'm talking about more than Coastal Williamsburg. I'm talking about the entirety of the people of God. I'm talking about the whole bride of Christ, the global church, the capital C church. Now, I have to address this. I know we've only been here for seven weeks, right? Like this is week number seven of the Coastal Williamsburg Church plant and praise God, it has been an incredible seven weeks, right? Like we have seen a zeal for God's kingdom in the people here. Howard Murray drives a trailer here at 6.30 every Sunday so that we can unpack stuff and set stuff up. There are probably 15 kids volunteers here this morning watching after your screaming children so that you can be in here and worship and hear the preached word. We have seen a zeal for God's kingdom right here in Williamsburg, and because we're only in week seven, here is the temptation, right? When you hear somebody say, build the church, the temptation is to think automatically, how can I build my local church body? And don't get me wrong, that's great, right? But when I talk about building the church this morning, I want you to know we're talking about more than coastal Williamsburg. We're talking about the entire bride of Christ the entire people of God. And so with that, I've only got two points for us this morning. The first will be some practical application. The second will be some theological implications. And so as we open, why don't we open with a word of prayer? Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for an opportunity to gather here freely, Lord, and to hear truths from your word, God, to... um, hear truths in the songs that we sing. God, we know that you are the lion and the lamb. God, you are sovereign over us. You're sovereign over this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people consecrated for you, set apart for your glory and for your service. God, speak to us this morning. Convict us from your word. We love you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so typically I like to start by reading the entire passage that we're going to cover for today. But if you have read through Nehemiah chapter 3, you know I'm doing you a favor by only reading through verse 5 because basically this whole chapter is unpronounceable Old Testament names. So it's as much for me as it is for you guys. But starting in verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. This is the word of the Lord. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they, consecrate, they, they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. Now, starting in verse 2, I want you to pick up on this pattern, okay? We're going to see a pattern start to form in verse 2 that will last throughout the rest of the chapter. So starting in verse 2, this is what it says. Watch the pattern here. Next to him, the men of Jericho built... And next to them, Zakur, the son of Emri, built. 
The sons of Hanessa built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Mermoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bena, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. We'll stop there. Did you guys catch the pattern? You see what we're seeing here? We're seeing three different things, right? It's most of chapter three is the same sentence. It's just got different subjects and direct objects. So here's the three things we see in this sentence structure. First thing we see is the name of the builder. The second thing we see is the thing that they're building. And there's one more thing. Did anybody catch it? Say it if you read it. Very good. Somebody said it. I heard it. And next to them, right? And next to them is a connecting phrase. And so here is how this chapter is laid out for us sentence by sentence. It's builder A is building whatever it is he's building. And next to him, right next to him, builder B, whatever he's building, right? We see this connecting phrase and next to him 31 times in 32 verses, okay? And so what we get by the end of chapter three is this, a really long name of unpronounceable, a really long list of unpronounceable names. In fact, we see 38 names representing 42 different people groups. What do I mean different people groups, right? talking about different ethnic groups. I'm talking about different generational groups. I'm talking about different economic groups and societal classes. What we're seeing from Nehemiah chapter three is a very, very eclectic group of people, a group of people who on paper, they probably wouldn't have worked well together. I want to tell a quick story about a guy named David Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you know him, you know his story, but In the 1920s, he was the assistant to the royal physician, which means that when King George had a runny nose and he said, hey, doctor, I need some Tylenol, the one who went and got the Tylenol was David Martin Lloyd-Jones, right? And so with that position, like he's interacting with royalty on a regular basis. And so with that position, he's got this pomp about him, right? He's got this influence and this power. And so what does he do with all of this influence and power? He takes it and he throws it in the trash can and he goes and he becomes a pastor of a poor fishing village in Wales, right? Here's what he learned after two years of doing this pastor thing in Wales. He said this, I've learned that I have more in common with the lowliest fishermen in Wales than I do with anyone of my status or my education. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I have a bond with these people who on paper I should not get along with well at all, but I have this bond with them. I'm closer with them than the people who are exactly like me according to the world. Why do we see this amongst Christians, right? We see this in Nehemiah 3. There's people who on paper they should not get along well together and yet they accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Why do we see this? I think the answer is Galatians 3.28. It says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's the Hunter Boone translation of that verse. There is no black Christian. There is no white Christian. There is no white collar or blue collar Christian. If you are in Christ, you are a Christian and that's it. And so what we're seeing from this passage in Nehemiah is that a reflection of the kingdom of God is this. One people, regardless of worldly differences, in relentless pursuit of the kingdom of God. Now, I began this morning by saying we are thinking outside of the four walls of Coastal Williamsburg this morning, right? And so I want to ask us this question. 
what would our communities look like? What would the Williamsburg community look like if the people in this room today decided that we were going to take our worldly differences and set them aside and be one people in relentless pursuit of furthering God's kingdom? How much different would our community look? And so our first point today is this. Building the church requires everyone. Regardless of worldly differences, building the church requires everyone. Now, for the next two sub-points, we're going to talk about practically what does that look like. We're going to talk about some logistics. How does it play out, right? What does it look like in real life? So point number one is this. Leaders equip the saints. Leaders equip the saints. If you read the rest of the way through Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll notice that Nehemiah's name is never actually mentioned, okay? Verse 16, there's a Nehemiah mentioned, but it's a different guy. It's not the same guy that the book is named after. And so what this tells me is that the guy that the book is named after, he's not a guy who says, hey, that wall needs to get rebuilt. I guess I'll get my wheelbarrow and my shovel and start throwing some bricks up, right? That's not what he said. That job was way too big for just him. Instead, here's what we see from Nehemiah 3. Nehemiah was a leader who equipped the saints to do the work of the ministry. And because he did this well, they accomplished incredible things for the kingdom of God. Let me give you a spoiler alert here. You'll probably hear about this in the next couple of weeks, but they built that wall, the wall of Jerusalem, and it was about a mile and a half long, and they did it in 52 days with no heavy machinery. Because Nehemiah equipped the saints well to do the work of the ministry, they accomplished incredible things for the people of God. And so what does that look like for us? Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says this, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, watch this now, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so here's how this applies to us. Colin and I cannot do all of the work of the ministry. Think about it for a second, right? If I was in charge this morning of preaching, of leading you guys in worship, of taking care of your kids, of making sure that your coffee was filled up out here, I can guarantee you of two things. One, there would be no coffee, and two, you'd be looking for your kids everywhere throughout this building, right? We can't do all of the work of the ministry. We have to equip the saints. Colonized job as the leaders of this church is to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. And so the question then is this, what is the work of the ministry? Inside the four walls of the church, I'm not going to spend too much time here because you guys have been hearing about this for the past few weeks, but inside the four walls of the church, the work of the ministry, the biggest three things we have right now, we need more kids volunteers. Shameless plug, I'm the worship leader. I need a drummer. So if you play drums or know somebody who played drums, like call everybody. We're looking for drummers everywhere. And the last thing we need is small group leaders. Those are the three things we need on the inside Sunday morning work of the ministry. Those are the three things that we need. But remember, we're thinking outside the four walls. And I want to remind us the work of the ministry is more than just serving on Sunday morning. And so our second point, practically, what does it look like to, to um, everyone come alongside one another and build the church? Point two is this, saints, find your place to serve. If it's the leader's responsibility to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, it's the saints' responsibility to find your place to serve. Now, some of you hear that and say, I guess I need to go sign up for kids. Yes, you do. But it's more than that, right? Listen to the voice of the Lord and hear where he's calling you to serve. Maybe the place that he's calling you to serve is in your community. 
Colin told me a couple weeks ago that somebody came up and said, hey, we really need a small group in the colonial heritage area because there's not one right now and I want to be the one to lead it. And they did. And so now there's a small group in the colonial heritage area and those people are hearing about Jesus. A girl named Elizabeth, she's a freshman at William and Mary, came up to me two weeks ago now and said, hey, I really want to start an on-campus William and Mary small group. Can I do that? Yes, praise God, absolutely. Now her classmates are hearing the good news of the gospel. And so maybe the Lord is calling you to your community. Maybe he's calling you to your workplace. How many of you have a coworker who either doesn't know the Lord or doesn't have a church to call home? Maybe the Lord's calling you to your workplace. Maybe he's calling you to missions. This week, we're sending people to Georgia and we have a handful of mission trips throughout the year. If that's where the Lord's calling you, then I'd love to get in touch with you after and get you plugged in. Maybe your place is a single person. Maybe the Lord has put one person on your heart to minister to, to, to share the gospel with, to invite to church. And maybe your place is as simple as giving to the endowment so that future generations of coastal church, future generations of Christians can hear the good news of Christ. Find your place where the Lord is calling you to build the kingdom. And if we are faithful to do this, if we're faithful to do this as a church, I am confident that the Lord will accomplish incredible things through us, right? And so there's your application point. Uh, building the church requires everyone. Leaders should equip the saints and saints should find their place to serve. That's the what. With the second point today, we're gonna to talk about the why. And so if you go with me back to verse one, we read this. Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate, and they consecrated it. For the next five or 10 minutes, we're going to spend some time looking at the sheep gate, right? And there's a few things, there's three things that we're going to see about the sheep gate. Number one is this. They consecrated the gate, okay? They consecrated the gate. What does it mean to consecrate something? All right, here's the simple definition. Consecration is to recognize something as special and uniquely set apart for God's glory and his service, all right? So venture with me here. Picture yourself as an Old Testament saint, right? And you want to offer a fragrance offering to the Lord. Here's how you would go about doing that. You would take your little bowl and you would take your incense and you would put your incense in your bowl. You'd light your incense, they would be smoking, you'd get like this essential oils type effect, you would put it down on the altar in the temple, and it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord, congratulations, you have offered your first fragrance offering, that's how it would work. Now, we look at this bowl, right, and we want to differentiate this bowl that we put our incense in from the bowl that we eat our lucky charms out of, and so here's how we would do that, we would say this bowl is special, it's set apart for the glory and the service of the Lord. And so on it, we would write this, holy unto the Lord. And that's how we would know this bowl is consecrated. All right? So that's what it means to consecrate something. It's recognizing something as special and uniquely set apart for God's glory and service. Now, what are they recognizing about the sheep gate? If consecration is recognizing something as set apart for God's glory and service, how are they using this sheep gate for God's glory and service? Here's what the priests recognized. They recognized that this sheep gate is the gate where lambs and sheep would come into the city and of these sheep, several would be uh, selected and they would be sacrificed in the temple for atonement from sin, for atonement for sin. And so 
If that sounds weird to you this morning, if you're unfamiliar with Old Testament law, Hebrews 9.22 does a really good job of just blanket statement summarizing. It says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, okay? And so in the Old Testament, before Jesus, the only way that you could cleanse yourself from sin is that you would take a lamb and you would offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord and then you would be cleansed of your sin. And so what the priests are recognizing about this gate is that if we don't have this gate, we don't have sheep. And if we don't have sheep, then we have no way to... uh, receive forgiveness of our sins. We have nothing to sacrifice to atone for our sins. And so this gate is going to be consecrated. It's going to be recognized as set apart for the glory of God and his service. And the reason they did that, the reason that they recognized this gate in this way is because they recognize that the gate is going to play a vital role in the forgiveness of sin of God's people. All right. Now, point number two, the second thing that we see about the sheep gate, follow me here and Don't miss this. This is probably the most important part of the sermon today. Point number two is this. The gate points to Christ. All right? The gate is meant to be a reminder for us of Jesus. How do I get there? Let's read John 10, verse 7 and verse 9 together. It says this, Therefore Jesus said, again, these are Jesus' words, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. What is Jesus telling us about himself in John chapter 10? Here's what he's telling us. He's telling us that there is a future kingdom coming, one where everything will be consecrated to the Lord. Everything will have holy unto the Lord written on it because everything will be used for the glory and the service of the Lord. Revelation 20 says that in this kingdom, not only will we walk with Jesus, we will also be glorified. We will be like Jesus. Revelation 21 says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. What is Jesus telling us in John 10? He's telling us that if you want a place in this kingdom, I am the only way. Now, why why do we believe that, right? The reason that we believe this to be true is because not only is Jesus the gate, He's also the lamb that was slain. He's also our sacrificial lamb. John chapter one, verse 29. For the first time, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus comes and we don't need to sacrifice a lamb every time we sin anymore because Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and bodily resurrected from the grave three days later. And so we know we can put our faith in him and have a place in the eternal kingdom of God. Not only is Jesus the gate, he is the lamb that was slain. And so the gate in Nehemiah is a reminder to us that not only is he the gate, he is, the, he is our sacrificial lamb. And so the last thing we see about the sheep gate is this. The wall begins and ends with the gate. Now, Nehemiah is a historical book. And so what Nehemiah is doing in chapter three is he's taking a historical account of who is working on what part of the wall. And if you notice, he begins with the sheep gate. He walks a lap around the wall, takes his notes, 
And then he ends again with the sheep gate. And so here's what we notice from that. If Christ is a representation, if, if the gate is a representation of Christ, then everything we do must begin and end with, with Christ because it's Christ who saves. It's Christ who removes a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Christ who takes our sin upon himself and grants us eternal life. Now, I don't want you to miss this either. If our building the kingdom doesn't begin and end with Christ, we are building the kingdom of something other than God, right? I also want to point out, I'm not a famous preacher. Like, when you come to Coastal, and if you've been coming here for a while, you know this to be true, I'm, none of our preachers are going to pack out arenas for people to hear their sermons, right? It's because our church isn't ba- built on a famous preacher. The same thing with our worship. People don't buy tickets to come watch us play. It's because our church isn't built on our worship. Our church is built on Christ. Everything that we do on Sunday morning begins and ends with the gospel message of Christ. All we have to offer here at Coastal is Christ. And so as we look to build the kingdom right here in Williamsburg, we have to begin and end with Christ. And I know I'm running out of time this morning. I've got one more point for you. It's not in your bulletin. Um, So write this down if you have room in your notes. Point number three is really simple. It's this, consecrate yourself. The same way that they consecrated the wall, we need to consecrate ourselves. We need to consecrate ourselves so that we are ready to do the good works that the Lord has prepared for us to do. 2 Timothy 2 verse 20 says this, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so my challenge for you this morning is this, consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart from what is dishonorable and devote yourself to the glory and the service of God. Consecrate yourself so that you are ready for every good work that the Lord puts in your path. Band, you guys can go ahead and come on back up. Um, The last question that we have then is, how do we do that? What does it look like for a person to consecrate themselves? In the Old Testament, anytime we see someone consecrated, anytime we see a person consecrated, we see three things. We see cleansing, we see sacrifice, and then we see pursuit. You have three things, cleansing, sacrifice, and pursuit. And so step one, cleansing. What is the dishonorable thing in your life that you need to be cleansed of? Is there something in your life, as 2 Timothy tells us, that's dishonorable? And, and what do you need to be cleansed of? Confess your sin to the Lord and be freed from a yoke of slavery. The second thing is this, it's sacrifice. What's the thing that you've been holding on to that's keeping you from clinging to the Lord? I, I don't know what this looks like for everyone in this room, but for me, it's control and it's comfort. I want to be in control of every aspect of my life so that I don't put myself in a situation where I'm uncomfortable. But here's, here's the deal. The Lord calls us to uncomfortable places all the time. The Lord reminds us that it's not us who's in control, it's him who's in control. And so that's a reminder for me, I need to sacrifice my control. I need to surrender my control to the Lord and confess that he is in control and confess that he is the Lord and leader of my life. And the last thing we see is this, pursuit. 
Are you ready to follow God wherever he's calling you to serve so that you can be a part of building the kingdom? The last thing I leave you with today is Joshua chapter three, verse five. It says this, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Church, let's pray this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the confidence that we have knowing that not only are you the gate, but you are the sacrificial lamb. You took our sin upon yourself on the cross and you rose from the the grave guaranteeing us passage into your eternal kingdom. God, we thank you for an opportunity to hear from your word this morning. We pray that we would be a people consecrated, Lord, set apart in our communities, set apart for the glory and the service of you so that we can be ready when you put things in our path to help build your kingdom. God, I pray for the people in this room this morning, God, help us to see what we need to be cleansed of. Help us to see the thing that we're clinging to, if it's control or time. Help us to give those things over to you, Lord, so that we can relentlessly pursue you so that we can be ready for every good and perfect work which you have prepared for us to do. Help us to build your kingdom here. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.